0: learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. When I did uh, Teach for America right after college, I spent the summer in, it was like a teacher boot camp in, in Houston. So imagine summer in Houston, right? And uh, it, was, it was, honestly, it was one of the lowest periods of my life. I mean, all day long, what were we doing? We were learning about lesson planning and classroom management. And then the rest of the day we were teaching and we got feedback on it. Uh, and then at night we were planning our lessons for the next day and making copies uh, to prepare to do it all over again. And uh, you know, I realized that in college, if I stayed up late working on a paper, I could go to class the next day and then guess what I did? took a nap, right,
1: <laughs>
0: right, um, uh, which is what I like to do after uh, after Shabbat morning service sometimes, especially now, okay, uh, but when you, uh, you're uh, learning to be a teacher, you're a student teacher, and you stay up late creating a lesson, guess what you have to do the next day, you have to give that lesson, right, you have to be, and you have to be animated, you know, you have to be excited, um, and uh, you can't like go home in the middle and take a nap, And I remember uh, speaking to, uh, we had a core member advisor. And uh, I just said, you know, I haven't contacted any parents yet. I I haven't done this. I haven't done that. And I said, I'm always behind. I said, I feel like a lousy teacher. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, you're not a lousy teacher. You're a learning teacher. A learning teacher. That was, it was an amazing phrase. It always stuck with me, right? Because you'd think that... It's kind of a it's kind of an oxymoron right a teacher is supposed to teach and it's the students who learn right but here i was as a replacement for being a lousy teacher i was a learning teacher and i realized you could be a learning anything right whether you've been doing it for a few weeks or whether you've been doing something for years and years we can always be learning amen all right i'm not lousy I'm learning. All right. You can be a learning follower of Yeshua. Can't you? Right? Can't you be a learning disciple? Right? Even if you've done it for many years, you can still be learning, right? Yeah. I know some of you are are nodding, right? You could be a learning mother. You could be a learning student. You could be a learning leader. A learning brother. A learning friend. Could be a learning rabbi. Learners make mistakes, but they don't get caught up in that. That's what marks a learner. A few, a few years ago, when I was planning on the theme for the year, I felt like the Lord put on my heart relational gospeling. Does it? Raise your hand if you remember that, remember that theme. All right. And that's sharing our faith in a way that's relational and winsome giving a reason for the hope that is within us with reverence and humility and i figured if i was going to preach on that and invite a messianic jewish leader or a local christian leader to share on this from the bima every month then i would need to you know practice what i preached okay literally okay so i thought uh, About what other congregational leaders were doing. Uh, A colleague of mine was going out to local areas and college campuses and setting up a booth and trying to engage with strangers um, by praying for them or asking engaging questions and I thought you know I could do that but it doesn't really fit my strengths and I thought about how God designed me to be a relational teacher and I thought Maybe uh, I could use my God-given strengths to do some relational gospeling. You know that that, that the Lord would show me what He had for me. I wonder. Uh, I wondered if any of my uh, rabbi colleagues were doing something like that. And it, as it turns out, Rabbi Russ Resnick had a, a little study, and he called it his Torah Boys, and he was meeting with Jewish men. And studying the scriptures. And since this was during the beginning of the COVID times, they were they happened to be meeting online instead of in person. And which was good for me because they were meeting in New Mexico. So if I were to join them, it would be, you know, normal circumstances would be very difficult. But um, because they were meeting online, uh, I could attend uh, one meeting. So he invited me. And another Baruch Hashem was uh, they were meeting very early in the morning. But because they were on, you know, their time, and I was in Richmond, like, I didn't have to wake up as early, so, um, that was good. Um, and I really, from this vantage point, I really appreciate sleep much more than I did. This is, this whole thing is about naps, really. I don't know, I didn't realize how much, (laughs) it's like hidden themes in this sermon here. Anyway, you know, Yeshua took a nap as well, Right? Right? When he, there, was the, there was a storm on the ship, right? And I think the lesson is, you know, we should, we should take more naps, right? But also, you know, trust the Lord with the storms. But, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot there. Um, so the amazing thing was, I went to this, uh, this online Torah study, the Torah Boys, with Rabbi Russ. And there were like 10 Jewish guys that he met with regularly to do this Torah study. And it was great. Some of them were either recent followers of Yeshua, and some of them, this was amazing, were not yet followers of Yeshua. And I thought to myself, you know, I think I could do that. I think I would like to do that. I think God is leading me to do that. I think God would bless the fruit of that if I did that. But I did have one question: How did Rabbi Russ do that? So I debriefed with him afterward, and I was like, "This is amazing! This 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 thing that you're doing, it's really incredible. Uh, how did how did it come about?" And he just shared, you know, it started off with one Jewish guy that he met. And uh, he, you know, was discipling him. He gradually came to faith and, you know, but he was meeting with him. And then it just built organically based on the relationships that he had. Uh, and uh, he didn't pressure them about their faith or anything. He was just very invitational, very relational. And I thought, you know, I could do that. So I started my group. About three years ago, with the blessing, uh, I remember going to the other the other leaders and saying, "Hey, I have this idea. I think it's from the Lord." And they were like, "Go for it!" And uh, so I called it Exploratora. Yeah, and uh, I had met two Jewish guys at a Needles Eye small group. Raise your hand if you're familiar with Needles Eye. It's a really cool. It's kind of a parachurch ministry, um, and uh, they have Bible studies. They have uh, different. Uh, studies for it's basically faith in the workplace. Uh, we had um, Buddy Childress, the uh, former uh, CEO of of Needles Eye, come speak from the Bema here. So it's really cool if you if you want to connect with the broader um, body of Messiah. I, I highly recommend it. Anyway, I was going to this uh, to this men's group, and uh, at Needles Eye, and I met. Uh, two jewish guys there and i developed relationships with them let's call them uh abraham and isaac okay so abraham had attended the group for for many many years even way before he came to faith in yeshua so what happened it was this group of guys that just loved him and uh and he and they invited him and he, he started coming and they were like hey you're jewish you could teach us about the old testament you should be laughing at that, right? <laughs> and like most Jews, we don't, we don't know our Bible, right? You know, it doesn't, doesn't mean he necessarily knew the Old Testament. But what did that cause him to do? It caused him to learn, right? And it caused him to read and learn and prepare so that, so that he could share on the Tanakh, on the Old Testament. And, uh, and I, you know I also met with him <clears throat> a couple times before he came to faith. And I just encouraged him, you know, um as an as another Messianic Jew and you know, a lot of times if you say to a Messianic Jews you don't have to convert, right? You don't have to change who you are, right? If God made you Jewish, you can remain Jewish and follow Yeshua and there's no contradiction. And a lot of times that's very comforting to Jewish people if God is drawing them. So uh so yeah, so eventually uh he, he met with me and he really met very frequently with Buddy Childress, who I mentioned before, and, and came to faith in Yeshua. Praise God. And uh, so uh, Abraham and Isaac were recent followers of Yeshua. And uh, they were excited to study with me. We would meet every week. And honestly, it was one of the highlights of my week. Often it was just me and Abraham as uh, Isaac often couldn't make it. Uh, But I I learned so much. I learned so much doing this. It was great. Uh, We went through the Torah portions. And uh, sometimes we'd have special like uh, special lessons where he would ask a really good question. And I was like, mm, let me get back to you on that. And so the next time we would just meet and talk about that. And so I'd have to bone up on my uh, apologetics and, and things like that. And occasionally I would invite uh, a Jewish man who had not yet you know, received Yeshua. And uh, they would come maybe once, um, but uh, usually it was just the two of us. Right? It was just me and Abraham. And, uh, even though, uh, neither Abraham nor Isaac ever came to the synagogue, right? It was my outreach, right? And I was rejoicing every week. And this was the relational gospeling that God had set up for me to walk in, right? And that's how He designed me, and it was great. So when I got ordained as a rabbi last year, they wanted to take me out to dinner to celebrate. So it was Abraham, Isaac, myself, and another Jewish man who I guess we can call Jacob. Okay, yeah, you got it, right? And uh, the other, uh, Jacob was uh, not yet a follower of Yeshua, and he was totally 100% on board and excited about this study. And so there we are, four Jewish men Right, sitting and talking, and all four of us at one point in the dinner shared testimonies of how God literally saved our lives. Right, in in these different things, and I could really feel the presence of God there. It was it was a remarkable thing. And uh, later, I brought up the idea of starting in Genesis, and Jacob said something I've never heard a pre-Yeshua Jewish person say before. This is what he said. But uh, I want to learn about the New Testament. And I had to kind of like, what? Did I, <laughs> did I hear that right? <laughs> I'm not used to that. Um, but it's like the Lord had prepared this table right for me to kind of walk in. And it was really, it was really beautiful. And uh, the other guys uh, reassured him. They were like, oh, well, Rabbi David always brings in the New Testament. Even if we're you know, studying Genesis or whatever it is, he's going to draw those connections and uh, it's going to be great. And uh, he was like, oh, good. He was like relieved. <laughs> you know, it was amazing. And since that time, we've been meeting um, basically every week and studying the scriptures together. And it's still one of the, uh, the favorite parts of my week. And that brings us to this week's Parsha, starting in Numbers 13. And guess what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna go old school here. I have three points. Can you believe it? Number one, stay with me. Focus on the fruit. Number two, portray the problem precisely. And number three, follow his faithfulness. Let's begin with number one. Tell somebody next to you, focus on the fruit. This week's Parsha, of course, has the story uh, some of us may be familiar with, where Moses sends 12 scouts into the promised land to check it out, right? And here is their report when they get back. This is from Numbers 13, starting in verse 26. They traveled and returned to Moses, Aaron, and the entire community of Bnei Israel at Kadesh, in the wilderness of Paran. They gave their report to them and the entire assembly. They showed the land's fruit. Look. They gave their account to him and said, "We went into the land where you sent us. Indeed, it is flowing with milk and honey. This is some of its fruit. Except the people living in the land are powerful." And the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the sons of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites are living in the mountains. And the Canaanites are living near the sea along the bank of the Jordan. (coughs) Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should definitely go up and capture the land, for we can certainly do it. Right? But just Caleb said that. Just before this in the Parsha it says, When they reached as far as the valley of Eshkol, they cut a single branch with a cluster of grapes. It was carried on a pole between the two of them. They also cut some pomegranates and some figs. That place was called the valley of Eshkol because of the cluster cut by B'nai Israel. They returned from investigating the land after 40 days. Here's a picture of the modern Israeli tourism logo. Uh, notice what they're carrying. What does that look like? Looks like grapes, exactly, right? And they're carrying it, right? Uh, it's um, between uh, uh, carried it on a pole between two of them, right? So I guess you know what the Israeli Tourism Board is trying to do is they're trying to make up for the mistakes of of the scouts, right? They're trying to focus on the fruit. So, I don't know if they've heard this sermon before, but they're definitely taking this advice, right? Because now that we're in the land, let's focus on the fruit and not the, the giants and, and the things like that, okay? You know, <clears throat> I tell you, it's easier, it's a lot easier to focus on our problems. I get it. It's human nature to focus on the difficulties, the setbacks. And the fear of the future. But Joshua and Caleb, two of the twelve, focused on the goodness of the land and the fruit and the past history of God's faithfulness. And they said, we can surely take the land. It is a good, overflowing land. Right? We can surely do it. Why? Because God can do it. With my exploratory group, sometimes I would look at the fact that none of them ever came to Tikvat. or that the Jewish not-yet-followers of Yeshua never came back, you know, a second time. That, that This happened for years, right? This was like two years I was doing this thing. Um, or that it was usually just me and one other guy, right? Imagine doing that week in, week out, right? And I would get discouraged, but then... I would look at the fruit, and then I would look at God, right? Who I knew was directing me to do this. I knew that God told me to do this, and I was encouraged. This Torah study, it really helped me. It really helped me. It didn't just help him, it helped me to grow as a relational gospeler. Because the questions that Abraham was asking, lots of other Jewish men Wanted to know the same things, right? So I had to. I had to think about that, right? It also blessed my preaching. The first sermon of this year, I spoke on the reliability of the scriptures, and it was based on Bereshit, the creation, the creation story. All of that research and study and blessing came out of doing this exploratora with one Jewish man. Right, And I had, I had done all this research, and, and then I realized, oh, that's what the Lord wants me to share with the community. Really was a blessing. There was a lot of fruit that came out of this. And that brings us to the second point, portray the problem precisely. While we're focusing on the fruit, the goodness, what God is doing, we do need to occasionally acknowledge and deal with problems, Right? in a trusting way. However, we need to be sure not to exaggerate the problem or do what I call catastrophize the problem, right? Have you ever heard that word? Catastrophize? You make it into a catastrophe. This is a a man I found on Twitter. This is what he has to say about that. I have a catastrophizing joke, but everyone in the world will hate me forever if I tell it. Okay, so I guess we'll never hear, but I'm sure it's good. Catastrophizing means that we, we take a minor problem, and then we inevitably that inevitably leads to the worst conclusion, right? We go down rabbit trails of, of negativity. And uh, here's the following verse after Caleb's comment and uh, the earlier comment in the same chapter. This is from the Torah portion. But the men who had gone up with him said, We cannot attack these people. Because they are stronger than we. They spread among B'nai Yisrael a bad report. That's the key word, right? A bad report about the land they had explored. Saying, the land through which we passed to, to explore devours its residents. All the people we saw there are men of great size. We also saw there the Nephilim. The sons of Anak are from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our eyes, as well as theirs. Oh, so now they know how they seem to the other people? Interesting. A lot of scholars stress that the scouts are really exaggerating here. All the people were of great size? Really? An entire country full of giants? Does that make sense? Or does it sound like they're catastrophizing? Does it sound like they're exaggerating the problem, right? This bad report then spreads to the people like a virus until all of them are doubting and catastrophizing and playing worst case scenarios in their heads. So that what happens? They end up not going into the land for another 40 years, one year for each day of scouting the land. The other thing is they're putting themselves down Right? They're turning their negativity onto themselves. We were like puny insects compared to them. And this is something I realized this week. A lot of self-loathing, a lot of putting ourselves down, wallowing in shame, it's actually pride. It's pride in disguise. When I said I was a lousy teacher to my core member advisor, what I was saying is that, I really should be better. I shouldn't make mistakes, right? I shouldn't need grace and forgiveness. But guess what? We all do. So that's why it's better to say I'm a learning teacher because humility brings us out of that, right? The answer to self-loathing is humility. I'm not perfect, and I'm not a failure. (laughs) I'm a learner, and I learn through grace and forgiveness. So we have discussed how to focus on the fruit, not the problem. How to portray the problem precisely, not exaggerating or catastrophizing. And we've come to the last point. Do you remember what that is? Follow his faithfulness. The Torah tells us this in the same Parsha. So they went up and explored the land from the wilderness of Zin, as far as Rehob, the entrance of Hamath. They continued on up through the Negev and came to Hebron. Hebron. Does that sound familiar? Do we remember that place? Yeah, we do. Sometimes I like to think of the places in the Bible as... Almost like characters, right? Because they're there for a purpose. And each place is significant. And they play a, a narrative role, right? If you look at what else happened in that place, you get a sense of what God is doing. So the reader has to act, ask what happened in Hebron? The first time that Hebron is mentioned, there are also a number of firsts. It's really remarkable. This is in Genesis 13, right after the call of Abraham and the first time that the land is mentioned. Because remember, the call of Abraham says, lech lecha, go yourself, right? Go to to yourself. Leave your land to the land I will show you. I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those that curse you. And through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. But it doesn't really talk as much about the land yet. Right, So the, the covenant that God makes with Abraham it kind of rolls out bit by bit. And this is in the next chapter the first time it's mentioned. After Lot separated himself from him Adonai had said to Abram lift up your eyes and look. Look from the place where you are to the north, south, east and west for all the land you're looking at I will give to you and to your seed for a little while forever. I will make your seed like the dust of the earth so that if one could count the dust of the earth then your seed could also be counted. Get up. Walk about the land through its length and width for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent from place to place and came and dwelt by Mamre's large trees which are in Hebron. And there built an altar to Adonai. Didn't the scouts do the same thing that Abraham did? What did they do? They walked. They walked the land. What were they really doing? They were prophetically walking into the promise of God. They weren't just scouting. Yes, they were scouting. They were seeing, is there fruit? How is it? How is the land? Is it good? But they are also walking, walking into it. Where did they get that idea? Because God told Abraham, walk the land, right? I'm prophetically giving you this land, and you're prophetically looking forward, taking possession of it in a sense by walking, walking in it, right? And that was the same thing that God did for me. He set up this table, right, of exploratory guys so that I could walk in it, right, right? but I had been doing that already for two years. I've been walking in it, even though I hadn't been seeing a lot of fruit, but God is faithful. When we encounter challenges and setbacks, we need to remember what God has done, what God has promised. And then not only recall that, but follow it, follow his faithfulness. The scouts, we're supposed to follow after the footsteps of Abraham. They were supposed to actively remember the covenant, right? They went to Hebron, they should have remembered. They were supposed to recall that, the covenant, the agreement between Abraham and God. So what should we do? We should be like Caleb and Joshua. What did they do? They focused on the fruit. Not the problem. They portrayed the problem precisely. They didn't exaggerate. They didn't catastrophize. And they followed the faithfulness of God. My sense from God is that this is going to be a beautiful, fruitful season in our community. Baruch Hashem. Will there be challenges? Oh yeah there will but there always are there's always little foxes there's always little distractions there's always problems but we need to keep them in the proper perspective right don't exaggerate the problem and focus on the fruit focus on what god is doing what is god doing what has he done what does he want to do right that's what we need to focus on it's hard what I'm saying is not easy. Right? And I I know that from personal experience because I've experienced a lot of blessing and a lot of you know <laughs> problems in the last 3 weeks, right? It's not easy having an infant. Right? But God is faithful. He wants us to focus on what he is doing. Focus on the fruit. Focus on his faithfulness. Let's close by reading together Uh, A verse from Isaiah 43, uh, verse 19. Let's read this together. Here I am doing a new thing. Now it is springing up. Do you not know about it? I will surely make a way in the desert, rivers in the wasteland. That's what he does. Amen. All right. Avinu, Father, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Uh, Thank you for your love um, for us and for us as a community, for us as individuals. And we pray you help us as leaders, help us as fathers and mothers, sisters and brothers, to be learners, to not turn against ourselves, but to turn toward you and to humble ourselves, that we would see your fruit, They would focus on what you are doing. That we would acknowledge the difficulties, but not make them bigger than they are, and entrust it all to you. You said, cast our cares on you, because you care for us. Help us, Lord, to look toward what you're doing with anticipation and with hope, because you're faithful. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. (laughs) All right. Well, I'd like to invite uh, Wayne, our Shamish, and uh, uh, our other elders up to the Bima, David and Eric, I think they know who they are, <laughs> for a special presentation. Come on up. <laughs> Age before beauty. <laughs> You're all beautiful. <laughs> all right. So uh, you look like you're in scrubs. <laughs> yeah. That's second awesome. Skin. Second skin, yeah. So um, would you like to share with the congregation uh, what we're praying you off into, the the calling that uh, you sense from Hashem and, and all that good stuff?
1: Sure, if I have permission, I'd right. be happy really to. Right. Sure, Absolutely. You're running away from home, right? <laughs> So, um, a long, long, long time ago, there was a little boy that wanted to grow up to be a physician, and I went to medical school in 1993 for one year, and I did great, and life tumbled in, and there were some deaths in the family that I felt like I had to tend to, and then... I had kids, got married, well, got married and then had kids. <laughs> and they have, too, turned out to be the most wonderful human beings that walk the face of this earth. They have not been one moment of trouble to me in their lives. I raised them here. We used to sit right there on that second pew. And the oldest is going to law school, and the youngest got a scholarship to JMU to be a PA, thank you. And meanwhile, I have lived out 14 years of the most honorable and blessed years of my life serving and loving each one of you here. And a couple years ago, I was sitting down with this fella. I don't remember exactly who he was. Give me a minute. This is about four years ago. Oh, yeah, he was the guy that would turn out to be my rabbi <laughs> at Shu. Bless you. And he said, Well, Wayne, why don't you be a Moyle? For those of you that don't know what a Moyle is, a Moyle is someone who's not a rabbi, not an elder, but someone who is trained to perform the bris ceremony, to perform the circumcision ceremony on newborn males on the eighth day. Two Jewish messianic boys, and so I thought well i 'm in the medical field they 'll take me right away. you know, oh, that was my pride right there, so I went to the qualifications to see what do you have to do to be a moil. I thought it was going to be like, "Oh, you hang out with a moil for about a month, he trains you, and then you 're off on your own. Oh no, in the United States to be a legal moil, I stress a legal moil, you have to be a trained physician. You have to have graduated from medical school, and not only that, you have to have done stellarly on your pediatric rotation. So I was like, wow. Wow. So I applied, and this was in the fall of 2020. This was about September of October. I started applying, and I was outright rejected by one I was put on a waiting list for another, but I was accepted to three. And this season, since April, I've been taking six medical school level classes. And I'm doing pretty well.
0: He's been busy.
1: I've been busy. (laughs) And like David said, I've been like Caleb looking in the promised land And the Lord has just laid out everything in front of me. I mean, the loan money has come through. Um, Other things have just kind of fallen into place that it just can't be that easy unless we know that Messiah is behind it. And so I'm going to medical school. And it is just, I'm just so fulfilled but I just want to tell each and every one of you, uh, oh, how I love each and every one of you. And it's we been the <laughs> biggest pleasure and the biggest honor to serve you guys and to serve here at TikFot next to these guys. Can I continue or? Oh, gee. Yeah, got more. More? <laughs> yeah, just a little more. Let me tell you a little bit, and I'm not going to cross any boundaries here. Let me tell you a little bit about some of the people here at the synagogue that I'm leaving you in the hands of. One of them, without getting too personal, has experienced a lot of religious abuse in his life. And with that... He should be in a corner somewhere cursing God, saying, no, why didn't you save me from that when I needed you? But Messiah touched him in another way. And he has been faithfully serving you guys for decades here. Another one has been very, very clear about some really wrong choices that that he's made in his life. And he should be resentful for all the family members and how life has just tossed him a terrible hand. Terrible, unfair things have happened. But Messiah touched him in a different way. And his heart is for you. There's another person who was born as an only child. And usually only children grow up into adulthood being the most entitled, self-centered ego-driven people in the world. But I've seen this man on his knees, on his knees, begging God, saying, I can't do it, bless this, help me here, and has accepted the yoke of leadership. And how these three men love you, how they are anointed to serve you and this synagogue. May Messiah bless each and every one of you because he's blessed each and every one of them.
0: All right. Uh, so, uh, we want to bless Wayne. We're sending him off and, uh, he is uh, stepping down as a shamish, but he is still going to join us on Zoom, I assume. From uh, where are you going to be? Did you tell them? Yeah, I'm going to be in Saint Martin. Wow. Okay, so don't feel too bad for him. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm sure he'll be studying most of the time, so he might not be able to. Do you know how to surf? I don't.
1: Okay, well, I think. I think is going to come and teach.
0: Him. I think Andrew knows. Andrew? Can you sh- can you teach him? how to surf? All right. We'll see. (laughs) Um, so when I think about Wayne, uh, there's a word that comes to mind. It's a, it's a, not a Hebrew word, but it's a Yiddish word. Actually it's cavell, cavell. And cavell means to shine. And, uh, so the reason I think of this word is because I see Wayne shine, um, because he has the light of Messiah. And when he is, leading our cantorial and when he is teaching hebrew um and teaching uh, the cantorial class i see him shine and when he talks about his kids i see him cavell i see him shine and i see him shine the most not when he's doing something personally but when he is actually teaching others and uh, there was uh, there were a few cantorial classes um, uh, this this past month that uh, where uh, Wayne and some of us were coming alongside him to raise up some some new folks to to lead the uh, the cantorial portion, and uh, Wayne was just beaming. He was just beaming, seeing uh, seeing other people shine, and that's uh, that's really who Wayne is. And I just I thank God for you, brother. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Avinu, our Father, thank you for our brother Wayne. Um, we pray you protect him and bless him. We send him off with joy, knowing that uh, you're going to be with him. We thank you, Lord, that uh, as uh, Eric demonstrated in his 60-year-old bar mitzvah, it's never too late. Never too late. Moses uh, uh, and uh, got really got started when he was 80. Right, so it's never too late to follow uh, to follow the cloud wherever you're leading us, Lord. And uh, we have a sense. We affirm Wayne's calling to uh, to become a Moil. We affirm uh, all of his calling and all of his gifts and all of his uh, the goodness that you put in him. Um, and uh, we we just ask that you would continue to direct his steps as he trusts you and uh that you would uh bless him in his studies um that he would uh, retain all the information and we thank you for the the bravery of stepping out um and uh and you know going back to school and following where where uh we sense you you are leading us lord and we affirm that bravery just like Caleb, just like Joshua, he's going into the, a good and exceeding land. And we thank you for his heart uh, to serve and his, uh, his face to cavell, to shine, not only when he's serving you, but when he's uh, raising up and blessing others. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.